So we're in a series called DNA where we're looking at the core values, the things that are deep within us that shape the stuff about us. And so we started, for those of you who are around, looking at the foundation, which is we are Christ-centered, we are biblically based, and that everything flows out of that. And then last week, Dan preached on the features of what those values are as we spoke, servant-hearted, um, generous and authentic, and I love that image that it is the overflow. I was talking to Simon Hermel was preaching over at Verdun today, and all week I've been saying it's about the overflow. It's the overflow. So, so awesome to hear that God is just speaking. And today we come to the fuel. What fuels us? What, what is the thing that will drive us or empower us or enable us to live out the stuff that God has called us to live? And that's that we want to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church and we want to be a prayerful people. Holy Spirit-empowered and prayerful. So with that said, stand to your feet. We're going to read from Acts chapter 1. I just think it's important to stand for the reading of God's Word. It's just because... It's authoritative and you stand in the presence of authority. So there you go. Um, Acts chapter 1. So Jesus has done his ministry of three years. He has died on the cross for the sins of humanity. He has uh, risen again. He has appeared to the disciples for 40 days. He is uh, about to be taken up into heaven. And just before he does, from verse 4 in Acts chapter 1, It says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And if you've read the book of John, we're going to touch on that today. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus speaks about Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Loving Heavenly Father, take your word. And do what only you can do. Lord, speak to the depths of our souls. And Father, we pray that today wouldn't just be information, today would be revelation. God, that you would wake us up, that you would uh, encounter us, perhaps in a way we've never been encountered before, that you would empower your church to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give us a bit of a theological framework to to work with around who Holy Spirit is, uh, how or why Jesus sent Holy Spirit. And then from there, we're going to jump into the more practical stuff of how does Holy Spirit work. Um, So that's sort of where we want to go. But in trying to explain Holy Spirit to the Verdun guys, what happens is you get on this rabbit, this rabbit hole, right? Because you start talking about Holy Spirit, then you start talking about the Trinity, and then you're trying to unpack the Trinity, and you're like, Whoa, how do I explain that God is three in one? Um, and all of you are already looking at me like, yeah, good luck with that. Because uh, this, this idea, we, uh, we believe that God is triune. We believe in the triune Godhead, yes? That we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And we can say that we believe in the Trinity. We can say that we believe, yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. God the Father is God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is God. Holy Spirit is God. But practically speaking, especially in Baptist circles, we tend to more focus on Father, Son and Holy Scripture than Holy Spirit. And it's so important that we grasp who Holy Spirit is, that He is God. He is a person. There is a reason I'm not saying the Holy Spirit. There is something that we have done, particularly in the West, when we've interpreted Scripture in relation to Holy Spirit, that we put the. The Greek word that we're going we're to see in our text is pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. And it literally means breath of God or Holy Spirit. But because we, we, we put the in front of it, but Holy Spirit is a person. He is part of the triune Godhead. Now, to help you understand this, I've got a little video for you. And it's satirical. There are two moments in this video where uh, they have a little bit of banter about Irish culture. It's talking about St. Patrick and his efforts to explain the Trinity back to the church many years ago. Hopefully you have a little bit of a laugh um, as you embrace who is the Trinity, who is Holy Spirit. Let's... Chuck that video up. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not <laughs> picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. 
I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine, the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Uh, now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. Hopefully that was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is a unique person wanting to have intimacy with creation, with his people. And we could go into all that sort of detail and I go back and forth, but what I want us to grasp today, Holy Spirit is God. In the scripture, there is 32 different names for Holy Spirit. 32 different names. God, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Jesus, Breath of the Almighty, Counselor and Comforter, Spirit of Glory, Spirit of Grace... On and on it goes. The point is, Holy Spirit is a unique person who is God. God. And this is why Jesus says to his church, it is better that I go to the Father, that the counsellor, the paraclete, or the parakletos, which means spirit, which means lawyer, basically, advocate, comes to be by your side, to, to indwell you, to empower you to move and live as I am calling you to live. Which brings us to exactly that question, the second question, why did Jesus send Holy Spirit? We come back to the book of Acts. We come back right here and from verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, remember, you will receive power, everyone say power, when Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You've got to remember that Jesus came for a purpose and he brought a mission. Jesus came to save the lost. He came to redeem humanity. His whole life, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to Jerusalem. The reason he was going to Jerusalem was to redeem us and draw us into union with the Father. But then he gave us a mission, Matthew 28. What was that mission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave his church a mission to go and be his hands and feet, that the world might know that they are saved, that they are healed, that they are whole, that they are redeemed in Christ. He gave us that mission, but he didn't just say, hey, in your humanity, go and do this. He said, you need power. He understood that we needed to be changed and transformed in order to do that which we were created and called to do. An example is, consider this, consider this lamp, right? You remember a few weeks ago I came and I spoke about this mission that we have to be the light into the world, to go and shine light in the darkness. Anyone remember that? I called it, called it Let's Go Fishing. Anyone? 
Light. We're called to be light. This has everything it needs to bear light. It's a lamp. It's created. It's got a globe. It's got a power cord. It's got a power switch. It's sitting on a beautiful little thing (laughs) ready to give light. And yet, what is it not doing? Why not? Because it's not turned on. What does it need to do what it was created to do? It needs power. We can have everything. We can have all the tools. We can have all the ability. We can have all the passion. We can have all the heart. We can have everything. But if we do not have power, we will not be the light that we were created to be. We cannot fulfill this mission by ourselves. And Jesus knew the only way that we could go, the church of Jesus Christ could go and make disciples of all nations, could go and be what it was created to be, was if he himself, the Holy Spirit, came and empowered us to be the light. So he sends the light. Now, this word uh, in the Greek that we're going to look at, this power, is the Greek word dunamis. Everyone say dunamis. Here's what it means. So often, like when I grew up, uh, particularly when I got saved, and I got saved in a Pentecostal environment, and so a lot of the time I'd hear this preaching of power, and it was always in relation to the miraculous. It was always like I sort of got the idea that Holy Spirit came upon us and then we became like wizards, you know, and we could just go and just do great things. It's so much more than that. Have a, have a listen. This is what the word dunamis means. It means power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. So because Holy Spirit is God, there is, there is an innate power, the creative power of God. Number two, it does mean power for the miraculous, power for the supernatural. Number three, moral power for excellence of soul. Isn't that interesting? It's not just about the miraculous and going out and being like, whoa, look at what God did. No, it's actually about someone's life. Moral power for excellence of soul. Power for influence. The ability to walk into a room and influence those around us. Power of resource. Where God will actually, the living water would flow and would have resource to do what he's called us to do. And number, the last one, military power for advancement. It speaks of this idea that not only do we have a mission, but we are in a battle. And that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. It recognises that we're in a war and Holy Spirit is the one who empowers the people of God to live out and to fight the good fight. You know, Paul uses that analogy over and over again, fight the good fight of faith. That we're in a battle and we're called to live it out. So, That is why he has sent the Holy Spirit to empower the people of God into the mission of God. Third thing I want to hit today, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, is how does Holy Spirit work? How does Holy Spirit empower? How does Holy Spirit light up the people of God? And I'm going to give you a few shons. You know Colin Buchanan? Big words that end in shon? Anyone? Some of you have got to just start listening to your kids' music, yeah? Some of the young parents in here are like, oh, I know that song, big words, end in shun. Anyway, it's a great song, really theologically astute. 
And so he writes this song, Big Words That End In Shon, and he's talking about all the different theological terms that end in Shon and what they mean so that we can, you know, because we have this church language. I want to give us a few Shons of how the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God. Number one, revelation. Empowered for revelation. Grab your Bibles, go to the book of John. We'll have it up on the screen as well. And it's a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done. You know, the Bible says that um, no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by Holy Spirit. The only way that a human being can have this revelation of who Christ is and what he has done in our lives is if Holy Spirit comes and opens our eyes to the goodness of God as we sung it today. Revelation. Watch this. John chapter 14 from verse 15 to 17. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, paraclete, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You know him for he lives in you and will be with you. Now, jump over to verse 26 to verse 27. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Who is Holy Spirit reminding? The disciples. What is he reminding them of? Jesus' teaching. There's revelation. Holy Spirit brings revelation. If there is a spirit that does not speak to Jesus, it is not Holy Spirit. The purpose of Holy Spirit is to empower the people of God into a revelation of truth. That we would know who Jesus is, that we would know his teaching, and that we would therefore live by that teaching. Any spirit that does not point to Christ is not the spirit of God. It is not just about signs and wonders. It is about the revelation of who Jesus is. Keep going. Chapter 15, verse 26 to 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will what? Testify about me. What does Holy Spirit do? Testifies about? Come on, guys. You've got to give me a little bit more interaction here. He testifies about? Jesus, Christ, Holy Spirit's mission is to illuminate Christ in the lives of believers. We do not need to fear Holy Spirit. We do not need to go, oh no, Holy Spirit's a bit freaky. No, he's not. He's God. And he's come to illuminate Christ, to reveal Christ, to reveal truth, to bring revelation to the people of God. Chapter 16, I've told you in John, Jesus over and over again, this is awesome. Chapter 16, verse 7 through 15. But very truly, I tell you, Jesus speaking, it is for your good that I am going away. Do we honestly believe that? So many times you sit there and think, man, why did Jesus just, why could he not just be with us? He is through Holy Spirit and through his word. He is. We have, it is better that I go to the Father. Better. 
Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him and his promises are sure. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's saying there... The Spirit of God is going to show you that Christ is who he says he is. That he is going to bring revelation around sin. He's going to bring revelation about righteousness. He's going to bring revelation about judgment. And that this understanding that Christ is who he said he is, he achieved what he said he was going to achieve, and that in him we are free. Revelation. Revelation. Number two, transformation. Everyone say transformation. Another word we could use here is sanctification. Transformation, in light of the revelation, in light of this this revealed truth of who Jesus is, when our eyes are open, when we have this moment where you're just like, oh, that's who Jesus is. I don't know if I'm looking around this room if anyone's had that moment. I pray that you've had that moment where at some point in your life, you were like, yep, Jesus, you know, you go into church, maybe you're raised in a Christian home and it's just your parents' faith. Then there's this moment in time where you're like, I see him. I understand who he is. I understand what he's done for me. I understand that I was a wretch destined for destruction and yet he has set me free and brought me, you know, we'll be seated with Christ on high like When we have that revelation, something happens to us and we begin to experience sanctification or transformation. We begin the Galatians 5, Paul puts it this way. He says that you will bear fruit. There is fruit of Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit is at work in believers, there is evidence. That evidence is fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, carry on. That where we were not loving. Yeah, good. I love that you're throwing that at me. Where we were not loving, we begin to be loving. Where we stumbled, we begin to stand. Where we fell, we begin to be stronger. And we are never, we're, not, we're not immediately transformed and perfect in a moment. No, we are being perfected. We are justified. We are, we are sanctified with God. But then we ex- endure this experiential sanctification is the theological word that we continue to grow in likeness of Christ until that final day. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not because of me. It's because of Holy Spirit at work in me. And because I will be hidden in Christ on high. And the Father will see the Son and say, ah. You see, there's this transformation that happens in our life. First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given, that's the dunamis, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There is power for transformation. There is power for breakthrough. There is power for strongholds to be loosed over people's lives. God does not want us to live under those strongholds. He wants us to be free. And Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us in that. Number three, Proclamation. Everyone say proclamation. proclamation. 
This is that advancing against the kingdom of darkness. And what we're going to see all through Scripture, as Holy Spirit encounters the early church, what happens? The gospel is proclaimed. The gospel is proclaimed. When Holy Spirit gets a hold of Peter, this guy, we're going to look at him in just a little bit. He, this guy who betrayed Jesus, is now standing up in front of a crowd. And what does he do? Proclaims the gospel. And as the gospel is proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven advances against the kingdom of darkness. God starts to take ground. The way that God takes ground in the spiritual realm is by the dunamis power of Holy Spirit through the lives of believers walking in obedience. Through the lives of everyday believers walking in obedience. And this is where we begin to see gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, we just said in John 14 that we would, it says that we would do greater things than these. That blows my mind <laughs> that we would do greater things because I don't see that in the church today. I can't remember the last time I walked some, past someone and my shadow touched them and they were raised from the dead. <laughs> Actually, it's never happened. <laughs> it did for Peter. Greater things. Oh, that Holy Spirit would just come and shake up his church and that we would walk in that. All through 1 Corinthians 12, we see Paul talking about spiritual gifts. Verse 7. Now watch this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Then he goes on and explains the different gifts. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He determines them to each one just as He determines. Now, I don't have time today to talk about this, in detail. We're not going to go into the gifts one by one. We're going to do that another week because there's a whole lot in here. This is just, this is a broad brush overview, right? But God gives gifts to his church that the church might proclaim the good news, that the church might advance against the kingdom of darkness. And he gives those gifts at his discretion. You know, some of you may have heard at some point in your life, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That is a lie. The gifts are what God chooses to impart at his discretion for his glory and for his purpose. Pause. We'll come back to that maybe in another couple of weeks. God gives the gifts that the gospel might be proclaimed. Number three. Uh, sorry, number four, edification. We see the edification of the church. What do I mean by edification? I mean that the church is built up and encouraged. When Holy Spirit, the purpose of Holy Spirit, the power of Holy Spirit is to edify the saints. We just read it, that for our good, that there's this sense that there's encouragement, that there's blessing, that when Holy Spirit is on the move in the church, we're being built up, not torn down. Sometimes prophecy is used in a way that tears people down. 
And we say, thus says the Lord. I don't know if you've encountered it anywhere. And it can be used as a weapon of division. That's not Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit is at work, there is edification. Saints are raised up and people are bound together in the faith for the purpose, again, of seeing the kingdom advance and seeing God's name glorified on the earth. There's edification and we see that, again, in the passages that we've read. Last one that I want to touch on before we begin to to close it out. And this is where we begin to move into this idea of being prayerful. Holy Spirit will lead us to be prayerful. And the last one is invocation. What does invocation mean? It means to invoke the name of Jesus, to cry out, to call upon. To call upon the name. Spirit, Holy Spirit will lead the church to prayer. Because we understand that Again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. We don't wage war as the world does. No, no. We get on our knees and we invoke the name of Jesus. We pray. We pray. We pray. And as we pray, God does his thing. Don't believe me? Go to Acts 4. Go to Acts 4. Peter and John... Have, uh, have just been before the Sanhedrin. They've just been told that they're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus. And in verse 23, the believers pray. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in what? Prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Skip two verses. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word, to proclaim the gospel with great boldness, stretch out your hand. So we're seeing powerful proclamation. We've seen the edification of the saints. Now we're seeing stretch out your hands. Now we're seeing that move in might and power. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In whose name? Jesus' name. Holy, I've, sat, I've been to things where I've almost vomited. I went, I went to a healing service at a church whose name I won't mention. And I, I, I got so angry, I had to get up and leave because it was all about this guy on the stage. You know, it was one person at a time and he, he was like cracking jokes left, right and centre. And then all of a sudden he'd just do this weird sort of thing where he'd grab someone's head and be like, Wah! like wrestle them to the ground, like healed and all this sort of stuff. And I was like... None of this is giving glory to Jesus. He barely mentioned the name of Jesus. And I was like ready to get up there and whack him one. Because I'm like, you're bringing the gospel into disrepute. Yes, God wants to do this. God is a miraculous healing God. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the power of the Spirit. But it is always for the glorification of Christ and Christ alone and never for the glorification of a man or a woman. Come on, somebody. And that is our heart for Hills Baptist. Allgate Verdun, when we plant in Lobethal, wherever else God leads us to plant, is that the name of Jesus, Jesus glorified first and foremost. And through his name, lives transformed and the hope of the gospel revealed. And that is only going to happen 
when we have our light turned on by Holy Spirit. Oh, I could keep going. So many passages. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray. Do you know, Ephesians 6, the famous uh, armour of God passage. Put on the armour of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, you know, sandals, fit, uh, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. We're like, yeah, come on. But so often, do you know what we forget? We forget that it keeps going because it then says pray and pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Prayer is a part of the armor of God. It is the same passage. It is the same context. Why do we stop at the sword? We're not supposed to. We're supposed to pick up the sword through the means of prayer and proclamation, invocation, invoking the name of Jesus. Prayer is one of the weapons that God has given us. Dr. Dan, you can come up and play some keys for me because I'm about to close. But I want to finish with, I just, when I think of Holy Spirit and I think of the power of God, I can't think of a better illustration than the Apostle Peter. Let me paint the picture for you. Peter, when Jesus meets him by the lake, is a fisherman. Now, in Jewish culture, there's three levels of schooling. And every young boy enters the first level of schooling... And the goal, the heart's desire of every young boy in ancient Jewish culture is to become a rabbi. There is no higher calling. There is no greater desire. This is like for us AFL footballer, whatever, you know, import the thing that you want to do more than anything else. This is for every young Jewish boy. I want to be a rabbi. And here's the thing. If you pass that level of schooling, you said, hey, you had what it takes to get through this. Come to the next level. But if you failed, you were sat down by a rabbi and you were told you do not have what it takes. You do not have the gift. You do not have the capacity. And then it was go and follow your father's trade. And that would happen. There's three levels of schooling before you could be invited to become a disciple of a rabbi. Now, what's Peter doing? He's fishing. So what's Peter heard at some point in his life? You're not good enough. You do not have what it takes. You do not have what it takes to proclaim the gospel. You do not have what it takes to teach people about the goodness of God. That's not on your life. And Jesus comes up to this man who's been told he doesn't have what it takes and he says, come follow me. This weird rabbi that everyone's kind of like, who the heck is this guy? But there's something on his life. This is why Peter drops his nets and runs. Because this is, it's like, to me, that's such a strange thing that someone would come and say, follow me. And I'm like, sure, I'll just leave everything and I'll follow you. But for Peter, it's like, oh, I'm being invited into that which I've longed to be. And so he follows Jesus. And then if you track Peter's life, what do we see? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. The transfiguration. You know, Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And Peter's up there, this glorious moment. And Peter's, what does he do? Oh, I'll build you guys. I know what we should do here. I'll do it my way. I've got it. 
this is what we'll do. I'll build you the tents. Yeah? We go into the, the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying and the soldiers come. What does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he chops off this soldier's ear and Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on him. He goes, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, Peter. And you can tell Peter's just like, what? <laughs> I just told you, Jesus, that when everyone else falls away, I won't fall away. I'll never let you down. Like, I'm strong. I know how to do this. You've called me. I won't. I'll do it my way. Jesus says, I want to wash your feet. Peter's like, you wash all of me. Jesus like, no, no, no. It's not about you, Peter. It's not about doing it your way, Peter. It's about me and following me and doing it my way. And Peter just doesn't get it until this moment in the garden when Jesus is being crucified and they test him. And what does Peter do in that moment? His strength fails him. And three times he says, I don't even know this man. Three times in his own strength he fails again. And then we get to the end of the book of John and there's Peter sitting in a room and he says to his mates, I'm going fishing. Now, what does that mean? I think that statement's a whole lot more loaded than, fellas, let's go and catch some fish. That's a statement about calling. That's a statement about purpose and identity. And what he's saying is, I don't have what it takes. So they go fishing and lo and behold, Jesus is waiting on the beach. I'm, I might cry, I'm warning you. This is the most glorious. Chapter 21, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, beloved, in the English, that makes no sense. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But in the Greek... It's beautiful because Jesus comes to Peter and says, do you agape me? Which means, are you willing to offer your life for me? Do you unconditionally surrender everything? Do you know what Peter says? He says, I phileo you, which means brotherly affection, which is Peter saying to Jesus, I wish I could tell you that I love you like that. But all I can give you is this. Because you've seen I've failed over and over again. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Peter, do you agape me? 
And Peter says, I phileo you. Are you catching this? The third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? He's basically saying, is that all you can give me? Do you just phileo me? And it says it hurt Peter. It cut him. That's why it cut him, because Jesus said, is that all you can give me? And do you know what he says? He goes, you know all things. Two Greek words, gnosko and oido. The first one is no up here. You know all things. You know, gnosko, experientially. You know. You experienced it firsthand that all I can give you is phileo. I wish I could give you more, Jesus. I wish I could be this rock that you're calling me to be. I wish I could be this leader of the church that you're calling to be. I wish I could follow you. I wish I could feed your sheep. But I've proven that I can't. I don't have what it takes. So I'm going fishing. And Jesus says, come follow me. And then he tells him how he's going to die. Next chapter... They're there. Chapter 2. The Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes. Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. Next page, a lame beggar gets healed by Peter. Carry on. He's before the Sanhedrin and they're threatening him. And he's like, you can't stop me. I'm going to preach the name of Jesus. It goes on and on and on. His shadow heals someone who like raises someone from the dead. He, he starts proclaiming the good news of the gospel over and over again. He then brings the gospel to the Gentiles. Like, what's the difference? Do you know how he dies? He dies upside down on a cross because he said he was not worthy to die the way of his saviour. This is the guy who in John chapter 21 could only give him phileo. And what Jesus is saying to him, I finally got you where I want you because it's not about you. My spirit will come and empower you. And if you are open, if you are just willing to pray and obey and just follow my leading, be empowered by my spirit, oh, son, you're going to see a move of God in your generation and through your life. What's the difference? What separates John 21 from Peter being crucified upside down? Holy Spirit empowering Peter and helping him understand it's about prayer and a posture that Holy Spirit would empower him to be who he's created to be. My greatest desire in life is that that is what I would be before Christ. Empty of myself and say, just come and do what you want to do. And my great desire for us as a church is that that's what we would be. It's not by might, and it's not by power. It's by his spirit. That we would be a Holy Spirit-empowered church because it's better that Jesus goes to the Father. And friends, I just feel like we should pray. I'd really love to pray. And band, you can come up and we will worship. But I really feel to pray and I really feel to encourage some people this morning. And I know we need to close. But I'd love to give an opportunity for those of you who are feeling as if you're a bit dry. 
just a bit dry, maybe doing things in your own strength and feeling like you need to come back to that place of waiting on the Lord. We'd love to pray for you. And I'm sure there's some elders and prayer team around the place. But as we sing, if you would like prayer, if you'd like to be encouraged in that space, we would love to pray with you. So come, stand to your feet and worship the Lord and seek his face and invite him to come and move and do what he wants to do in and through this place. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let me pray. And then if you would like specific prayer, please come and we'll pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way in our lives. We want to lay down our striving. We repent for the way that we have gloated in our own strength, the way that we have even inadvertently rejoiced in our own wisdom. And you've just sat there so lovingly, just going, oh, so silly. We need you, Holy Spirit. Would you refresh us this morning? Would you empower us this morning? Would you bring revelation of the glory of your son? Thank you, Jesus. Would you enable us, Lord, to proclaim the good news of the gospel? Would you bring transformation in our lives? Would you edify us and build us up? And would you make us a people of prayer, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.